Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you today, and the only reason we can come, we, the only plea we have is that your son's blood was shed for us and that you bid us to come. And so we do come today. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you have done. We cry out to you for the hard things in life that we have not seen answers to yet. But we come to you trusting that you are still good. And in your goodness, would you speak to us now through your word? Help us all to be ready to hear, ready to receive, and ready to respond to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. On our family holidays, as part of a day trip we took, we went and saw a traveling exhibit of Lego in Brockville. And in this exhibit was a massive Lego replica of the Titanic, made from over 200,000 pieces of Lego. I think there will be some photos there of it, including, of course, a mini Jack and Rose along the railing. <laughs> Historically accurate right there. I'd recently been reading about the Titanic, though, and, and what really, people believe, sank it 111 years ago. There was the iceberg, of course, we all know that, but also a whole host of other contributing factors, that it was a perfect storm that came together. One of these factors was a terribly simple design flaw. The ship had three propellers, two of which could work in both directions, forward and reverse. The third, though, the center one, could only be halted if needed. It couldn't be reversed. And so when the first officer ordered that the ship go into reverse in order to avoid the ice iceberg, the move backfired, and it slowed the rudder and crippled the ship's navigation, its steering. With a different propeller design, they could have missed the iceberg altogether. We wouldn't know the Titanic's name now let alone have it immortalized in Lego. See, sometimes issues that we might see as very small can cause catastrophic problems. And that's true anywhere, including inside the church. Sometimes overlooked or seemingly small sins can capsize an entire church. One of the more insidious ones of these is gossip, which is basically an epidemic today. The saying goes, loose lips sink ships, and they can sink churches too. So I would like to give us all a, a pastoral and a biblical warning today about gossip. But I'd also like to give us hope for dealing with it whenever it rears its ugly head. For some of us, this sermon may be simply warning and preparing us for danger. It's like throwing life jackets into a boat for a day on the water. For others, it may expose some things in our hearts or in our speech patterns. And so it may hurt a bit, like a doctor giving you a shot. 
And for others, you may already be wounded and scarred from gossip. So I hope that the gospel can act like a healing balm to you today. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. These are no small stakes. Actually, let's turn there to Proverbs at this time. Proverbs, which has a lot to say about what we say. And we're going to hop around the Bible a bit, but we're going to start there in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. Last year, I read a very helpful book called Resisting Gossip by Matthew C. Mitchell. And I'm going to lean pretty heavily on his work today. I think it's very biblical, very gospel-centered, and I would commend it to you as well. Resisting Gossip by Matthew Mitchell. But to begin today, we need to understand what gossip is. We need to clearly define it. Obviously, it's talking about, it's a, it's, a, it's a talking thing, it's a listening thing, it involves words, whether physical or virtual, spoken, heard, typed, read. Here's Matthew Mitchell's definition. He says, the sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Okay, let's dissect that a bit. The sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. First, it's bearing bad news. We may not like bad news, yet we are awfully attracted to it. Like moths to a flame. Or like being unable to look away from a train wreck. And it can be tantalizing to our sinful hearts to be the bearer of bad news. Like we love seeing others' eyes get wide or jaws drop or burst out laughing. Gossip can do that. Gossip is sharing bad news about someone else really regardless of whether it's true or false. It can be bad information or lies about someone, which could also be slander. It could be rumors about someone. We don't know if it's true or false. Have you heard the one about Alfred? He's a dangerous robot. That's a VeggieTales reference for those who don't know. Or gossip can be totally true. It's, but it's a shameful truth belittling or diminishing someone. Proverbs 17.9 calls it repeating a matter, which can separate close friends. One author calls gossip pornography of the mouth. It's a cheap thrill that objectifies someone else. Gossip is really sharing stories which is another thing that we're naturally drawn to, attracted to. And we can both speak or hear these stories of bad news. These days, we can even our fingers can spread gossip or our eyes can consume it. Technology allows us to participate in long-distance gossip. On the phone or email or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter, I mean, X, (laughs) Gossip often means telling secrets, 
that are not our secrets to tell, betraying a confidence. That's why the definition says it's bearing bad news behind someone's back. It always happens when the person being talked about isn't there. A common Old Testament term for gossiping is being a tale-bearer or a whisperer. For instance, look down at verse 8 in Proverbs 18. It says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. The other versions say gossip there. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Now, what are choice morsels? Delicious little snacks. You just think of a, a box of Timbits or a bag of Doritos or a package of Reese's peanut butter cups just sitting on the table in front of you. It can be hard to resist them. But what happens when we eat too many of them? We get sick. And that's the picture. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels, but they go down into the inner parts of the body. It's like gossip can taste great, but it leaves sickening after effects. Finally, gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. What he means by this is that gossip is ultimately caused by something that is wrong, not just with our speech, but with our hearts something corrupt that's at the core of our beings. Gossip is attractive to us, like choice morsels, because our desires and our loves have run amok. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. While gossip is bad news, Christians are called to be good news people. Right? Literally. We are gospel people. Gospel means good news. But gossip is a danger to this calling we have. It can damage work the gospel does in us and among us. I, I put it this way, that gossip, gossip is destructive to gospel-bought peace and unity. Gossip being quite destructive to gospel-bought peace and unity. You may have noticed the definition of gossip I gave you before labeled it as the sin of gossip because it is sin. It's a harmful sin against others and an offensive sin against God. It's found in several lists of sins in Scripture, and it certainly qualifies as what the Bible calls corrupting talk. It also says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. All this means that gossip is one of the bad news causes for the gospel in the first place. Keep a bookmark or paper something there in Proverbs and flip with me to the super sobering words of Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. This chapter describes how we as the human race got to where we are. Where did the human condition come from? And once you find your place, you can look with me. If you're using one of the Bibles, I don't think we got the page number on the screen there. It's page 939. 
You can look with me starting in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that's us, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Then in a a depressing progression, it says that God gave us up to our sin. Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So what did we become? Verse 29, it says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. But did you see it? Right in the middle of the litany of evil here. It includes gossip. The end of verse 29. They are gossips. Like... It's our identity. It's who we are without Christ. The rest of Romans provides the antidote to this horrible, sinful condition in the gospel, in Christ Jesus. He's the solution. And the next, in in chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus shed his blood to save us from gossip, among many other things. But gossip is destructive. Why is this so important? Well, there are interpersonal reasons to bring this up, because many of us are friends with each other. And gossip can destroy friendships. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends, Proverbs says. Gossip also causes or fuels fights among people. Proverbs 26.20 paints this picture. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. If you've enjoyed a campfire this summer, what happens when you stop throwing wood onto the fire? It dies down. Eventually, it dies out. Because fires need fuel. 
This says that if a fight is like a fire, then gossip is like the wood on the fire. It can, you can start a fire with it, and you can keep a fight burning hot with it. So, from a very pragmatic viewpoint, do you like your friends? Do you dislike fighting? <laughs> this would tell us that we should do our best to resist gossip all we can. Almost anyone in the world would say that peace and unity are good things to aim for or to protect. However, on a deeper level, believers in Christ have a much more important motivation than this. Because the peace that we have isn't like the peace you have with your nice neighbor. And the unity we enjoy isn't like the unity you have, say, with your soccer team. No, it's a foundational, identity-defining, blood-bought peace and unity. We didn't just luck into being brothers and sisters or, or simply choose to be friends. God intentionally brought us together into relationship with each other in his family. Like, dare we jeopardize what God has brought together? And Jesus himself is our peace, our common ground that's deeper than all other common grounds. Ephesians 2 says he has made us one, that he broke down the, all our dividing walls of hostility. When he died for us on the cross, he created in himself one new people, making peace, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Dare we trivialize what the cross has done in us and for us. If you are here and you haven't received the peace that Jesus offers you in himself, you can today. Peace with God, peace with man. You can admit your deep-seated and relentless sins against him, renouncing them, and you can ask Jesus to save you from your sin, all its consequences, and remarkably, he will. Because his blood was shed in your place, you can be forgiven and cleansed and changed forever. Remember what Romans said, all these things we do deserve death. And Jesus died that death. For those of us who have already been graciously given this peace and unity, Recognize what's at stake here. The gossip won't make us lose our salvation, but it can cause us to lose such precious peace and unity and thus joy here and now. If we are living our lives in light of what Jesus has done, the Bible says that we're going to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the, the bond that we have in Christ. We should want to protect 
what Jesus bought with his priceless blood. When we gossip, we really play right into the devil's hands, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's no stretch to say that when gossip undermines gospel unity, it's actually demonic, satanic. Ray Ortland warns us that gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. It erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. It robs our Lord of the church he deserves. It exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. Need anything more than that? Gossip is bad, bad news. It's really anti-gospel. It may be desirable, but it's destructive and demonic. So, what do we do about it? Thankfully, we are not left to deal with this problem, this really pernicious problem on our own. See, the gospel is destructive to gossip, too. The gospel fights back. And the gospel can help us to resist gossip inside ourselves. The gospel can help us resist gossip that we find inside ourselves. To steal an illustration from Mitchell here, say I take my bottle and do this. And then I ask, why is there water on the ground now? I say, well, because you just poured water on the ground. <laughs> yes, but why is there water on the ground and not coffee or Sprite? Because there's water in the bottle, right? In other words, what's inside determines what comes out. Remember, whenever we say or type anything, it's coming from somewhere. Our words overflow out of our hearts, out of our desires, our beliefs, our pains, our fears, our longings. Would you believe me if I told you that when we gossip, we're usually after some kind of idol? Something that we're, that's in our heart that we've set up, some deep, ultimate longing in our hearts, some ruling motivation that's driving us. To demonstrate this, Mitchell describes five different types of gossips and what each one is after. I think it's a really helpful list for us. First, there's the person he calls the spy. Hey, this is someone who's always looking to peddle secrets. They're a tattler, an informer, 
Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever goes about slandering or gossiping reveals secret. That's the spy. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You know someone like this? Someone who's always passing on the latest tidbits? Or someone who's always probing for news about other people? Are you like this? Now, what do you suppose the spy is motivated by? Well, it's usually a hunger for power. They want something, and they can use secrets to get it. Being in the know can make us feel important or needed. We can crave the control, the, the, the feeling of control that information offers us. Or we can feel big when we cut someone else down to size. So, how does the gospel respond to the spy? Well, if we desire power, what we really need is Jesus, the all-powerful one, and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, who has immeasurable power that he's given to his people. Look to him. Second, there's the grumbler. So this is the whisperer that we saw before from Proverbs, the one who isn't happy with how things are or they're upset at someone else, so they'll complain or murmur or criticize or vent or, or generally just stir up dissension. And what motivates the grumbler? Well, they're often motivated by jealousy or envy. And what's the gospel remedy for that, for the grumbler? contentment, and thanksgiving. God's already given us so much, everything we need, in fact, for life and godliness. And what's the, the secret to contentment, according to Philippians 4? Jesus himself. In other words, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. It's talking about contentment. And we can do all things, including giving up grumbling and choosing to rejoice and give thanks, whatever the situation. Then there's also the gossip known as the backstabber. Backstabber. They're the complainer too, but throw in some anger, bitterness, hate, or vengefulness. So the bad news they share or they spread is tinged or it's filled with malice. What motivates the backstabber? They want payback, revenge. They want others to hurt like they've been hurt. Ultimately, though, they want justice. And the gospel reminds the backstabber, and it reminds all of us, that justice will be done. But that we need to leave it to the proper hands and in the right time. Not our own. A fourth gossip could be called the chameleon, the one going along with the crowd. Everyone else is talking about so-and-so. Might as well hear what they have to say, or might as well join in with our own juicy morsels. Then we'll fit in more. That's 
it's pretty easy to tell that the chameleon is motivated by a fear of man. They idolize other people or the acceptance or popularity or status that they can provide. The gospel solution for the chameleon is to trust in the Lord and fear him above all else. In Christ, you can be totally secure in your own identity as a child of God. Christ has included you, befriended you, welcomed you. You don't need other people's favor if you have his. And finally, there's the gossip whom we could call the busybody. Someone who's idle and seeking entertainment. Nosy, meddlers. Now, our world today gorges on this kind of gossip, and they try so hard to feed it to us, too. We've got gossip magazines and gossip websites and gossip shows and gossip blogs and gossip podcasts, all seeking to delight or intrigue or fascinate or horrify us at someone else's expense. What underlies all this? What motivates us to be busybodies? We want to be entertained, excited. Often we just want an escape from boredom. As Mitchell says, we have a malignant desire to be entertained by bad stories. And he says he preaches a slogan to himself that the foolish people of the world do not exist for my entertainment. Can you say that to yourself? (laughs) The foolish people of this world do not exist for my entertainment. This might not seem as harmful as other forms of gossip. Maybe it's not. But it's certainly not loving, edifying, or the way Jesus treated other people. So what's the, the gospel escape for busybody gossip? Oh, it's to forsake idleness, to repent of it, to pursue active love, active service, active mercy, like Jesus did. The advice that that Paul gives to idle busybodies in the New Testament is to get married, have kids, or get a job. It's not that those things kill gossip, but they kill idleness, laziness which then fosters a better environment to help us resist gossip. Now, you go through that list, spy, grumbler, backstabber, chameleon, busybody, wherever we might look in the mirror and see resemblance to ourselves. The gospel tells us, yes, you are a far worse sinner than you'd like to believe. But, You are also far more loved than you've ever dreamed. That gives us freedom to repent in absolute safety and peace. We don't need to fear what's going to happen when we bring this to the light. We can be utterly forgiven if only we come clean to Christ. So, Bring your sins of gossip. Bring the the heart motivations that lead you there 
into the light today. Bring it to Christ. The gospel tells us not to wallow in regret, but to walk in repentance. So resolve, this is J.C. Ryle says, to, to break off every known sin. Resolve to break off every known sin. Don't condemn yourself over them. Be freed from them. Now, there will still be times that we're tempted to seek power or justice or status or excitement, and there will still be annoying or irritating people in our lives. I know, shocker. (laughs) So, what should we do at those times instead of gossiping? Here's a few ideas for you. First, whenever you're concerned about someone else or you're irritated by them, talk to them. Talk to them. You know, Jesus teaching it that when someone sins against you, to go to someone else and tell them their faults? That's not how it goes? No, it's always better to address sins or offenses directly with the offending party. Usually, the wise and responsible thing to do is to lovingly confront them. As Proverbs 25.9 advises, Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret. If it's ever necessary to talk to a third party about someone else's problems, sometimes it is, especially if you think of maybe cases of abuse where you need to talk to someone. We need to make sure that we're, we're doing so out of love and with their best interests still at heart, even if they're our enemies, to, to keep loving them with our words, even if they've hurt us. We should never say anything negative about someone that we wouldn't say to them. So ask yourself, would I say this if they were standing right here with me? Be honest. Amy Carmichael, missionary, was known for saying, never about, always to. Never about, always to. It's really following Jesus' golden rule treating others how you'd want to be treated. Another option you have when you hear bad news about someone else is to say nothing at all. No, really. It's true. You don't need to comment on anything or criticize anyone. You don't need to talk about it with anyone else. You don't need to rant or vent. You don't, need even, you don't even need to spread it around as a prayer request without their permission. Sometimes we should remain silent for the simple fact we don't know the whole story. You don't need to pretend that everything is okay in order to believe the best about others. Since it's the way that we've been loved by Jesus, we can love others with mercy and grace. Mitchell asks, can you imagine Jesus gossiping about us? An interesting question. He would surely be fully qualified to do so. He knows the whole truth about us and could rush to judgment. He is the lawgiver and the judge. Yet Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not delight in evil. He does not sinfully judge us. 
He saved us by his own sacrificial death. If Jesus has shown us this love, we need to show it to others. And believe it or not, there is someone we can talk to about whatever we hear. God. We can bring all our concerns, worries, irritations to the Lord in prayer. Like you have permission to gossip to God. In fact, he wants us to pour out our hearts to him. So, the gospel can help us resist gossip inside ourselves. But what about outside of us? What about when we just happen to hear or see gossip or when we're gossiped about? Does the gospel inform how we respond then? Yes, it does. Of course it does. See, the gospel can help us respond to gossip that's outside of ourselves as well. The gospel can help us respond to gossip outside ourselves, really in a godly way. It can be really hard to notice or recognize when our small talk is becoming sinful talk, right? It's hard to notice, hard to see in advance. We're often just innocently chatting away. Something gets mentioned so suddenly, we may feel that we can't even stop the train of information at all. It's already gone. Or we may not even recognize it for the gospel it is until much later. There's no advanced warning system for our conversations. Warning! Gossip detected! So we need to pray and walk by the Spirit, asking Him to reveal sin to us so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Whenever we start to hear gossip, and, and we do have eyes to see it, we need to remind ourselves it's not the tasty snack we think it is but rather it's a poison pill. And with that perspective, with that these words are poisonous to both us and the person speaking and, of course, the person being talked about, we should feel far more motivated to address the sin promptly. Nipping in the bud. Why would we want poison running through our veins? Sometimes we can interrupt a conversation that's slipping into gossip. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think we should be talking about this right now. I think it's gossip. Don't be afraid to say that. And don't be too proud to agree with them. You could, you could ask, you know, have you spoken to so-and-so about this concern of yours? You could even say, why don't we go get so-and-so right now and you can say this to their face. Like, I'm willing to be a witness to that conversation, but I, I can't be a participant in this one. But then we think, what about when we are gossiped about, when we're the targets, when we're the victims of this? We find out that the rumors, lies, or secrets about us have been spreading around what would the gospel tell us to do then? Well, each situation is unique, but there are several biblical responses we can make. Most vitally, we can lament to the Lord. 
Lament to the Lord in prayer. We can bring all our pain and hurt to him, knowing that he hears us, that he cares for us, that he's with us in our pain, and that he knows exactly what it's like to be the victim of hateful and sinful speech. He was. A few timely psalms you might pray to the Lord are Psalm 13, 41, 71, or 140. It's where the psalmist is being talked about behind his back, and he just brings it to the Lord. The pain you feel when you are gossiped about is legitimate. It hurts because you are being sinned against. It betrays you. It attacks you. It insults you. It can cause the loss of your reputation or cause you to fear further attacks. But our faith doesn't minimize our pain. It directs us to the one who cares about it and can do something about it. So pray. Pray for justice and vindication. Pray for conviction and and reconciliation. Pray for protection and restoration. Pray for the strength to respond with grace. And then wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, even if that means waiting all the way until his return, when he will bring about perfect justice and restoration. Another thing we can practice when we're gossiped about is overlooking the offense, being ready and willing to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. You can look back with me, flip back to Proverbs I'll be on page 540 in Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So what is the opposite of spreading gossip? Covering offenses. It's mercy. Or look a couple chapters after this to Proverbs 19.11. It says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Do you want to be glorious? Want to imitate God? It's to your glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking is basically forgiving them in our hearts whether or not they ever repent. It doesn't pretend it's not painful. We still get hurt and we need to lament. But forgiving is choosing to absorb that pain and move forward in love. There are going to be also times when we need to look to Christ for strength and simply endure Endure evil that's done against us. To patiently persevere through reviling, false, or sinful speech. As it says in 1 Corinthians 4, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. You can do all of these things. 
And we already talked about there being a time and place to confront sin head on. But we should always do so in humility and gentleness. And always remember, repay no one evil for evil. (laughs) But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, just like Jesus did for us. He overcame our evil with the greatest good. All the while enduring the cross and all the evil speech hurled his way. So you see how the gospel radically impacts the way that we respond to gossip. Changes everything about it. I have one last passage to read today over in 1 Peter 2. You can turn over there, 1 Peter 2, in the Bibles in the seats, it's on page 1015. 1 Peter 2 says this, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. Sorry, I didn't tell you where. 1 Peter 2, verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And that leads me to one last brief yet all-important point for today. So yes, gossip can do terrible damage to the work of the gospel in our communities, but the gospel heals gossip-inflicted damage. The gospel heals all this, all of the gospel, gospel-inflicted damage we see, all because Christ bore our sins on the tree, and by his wounds we are healed. He takes our sins of gossip away, killing them on the cross. And then he heals us from all the wounds that sin left behind, gradually making us new. When we realize the destructiveness, the the long-lasting damage of our words, and this way beyond just gossip, but just the the long-lasting damage of our words, it can lead us to despair. A Jewish rabbi tells this story. It says, in a small town, a man went through the community slandering the rabbi. One day, feeling suddenly remorseful, he begged the rabbi for forgiveness and offered to undergo any penance to make amends. The rabbi told him to take a feather pillow from his house, cut it open, scatter the feathers to the wind, and then return to see him. The man did as he was told, then came to the rabbi and asked, am I now forgiven? Almost, came the response. You just have to do one more thing. Go and gather all the feathers. But that's impossible, the man protested. The wind has already scattered them. Precisely, the rabbi answered, 
And although you truly wish to correct the evil you have done, it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover the feathers. Now this story makes a a valid point that our words have consequences we can't control. But this story is missing one vital thing. It's missing Jesus. Our forgiveness, our cleansing, our restoration isn't dependent on us retrieving all our scattered feathers. It's totally dependent on the shed blood of Christ for our sins. God knows where every feather is. God's taking care of restoring all things. God's word tells us that things are not how they should be, and also that things are not how they will be. Gossip's going to end one day. One day there won't even be any bad news anymore. Meanwhile, the good news of God's grace will never end. Which means the gospel is very good news. It's good news for gossips and for the gossiped about. By his wounds we're healed. Let's pray. Father, would you work your healing in our hearts today, both from the sin that ravages us, that we know we have fallen so short of your glory. Would you give us your forgiveness, please, in Jesus. And all the pain that our sin has caused or that we feel from others. Help us know your love today, your comfort, your peace, and your healing. We pray this all in Jesus' name.